this thing on? Because it's getting ready to be on. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Bell Ringer podcast. My name is Greg. Your guest name is Alan Belicha from the University at Buffalo Business and Entrepreneur Partnerships. We talk about the role that, the, uh, that a large university can play in economic development. We talk about UB success stories and about BIG, UB BIG, which is the Buffalo Institute for Genomics and the effect that they're having on the growing life sciences sector in Buffalo, Niagara. I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. It's great for any companies thinking about expanding. So I think that's it. Just enjoy it, and I'll see you guys later. All right. Welcome Thanks. to the podcast, Alan. Thank you very much for coming in today. Sure. My pleasure. Uh, so I always like to start a little bit about the person I'm interviewing. What's your title at UB? And give us a little background, your elevator speech. Sure. So I'm the Director of Business Development at the University at Buffalo Business and Entrepreneur Partnerships. I'm responsible for business development in, in life sciences and material sciences for economic development purposes. And I am originally from Spain, but came to Buffalo to do my, my undergrad at UB and my grad at Roswell Park. And then I spent far too long in New York City, about, <laughs> about nine years or so, yeah. um, before coming back a year and a half ago or so and, and taking on this new role. So do you like the uh, commute times in Buffalo compared to New York? Oh, yeah. We, now it's about 25 minutes before it was two hours each way. So yeah. that's definitely an improvement. Much better. Awesome. So uh, for those that don't know, what is the UB Business and Entrepreneur Partnerships? Sure. So our, our group really is focused, again, in, in, in two main areas, which are life sciences and material sciences. And we try to be the concierge to the university for, for companies that are really located in, in New York State, preferably. Now, we will be opportunistic. So if a company from outside the area is interested in tapping into our, our know-how or faculty, we will definitely support that activity, but we try to really focus our efforts in for New York State companies, and that is because it's one of our main funders. We try to, to support companies to make sure that they find the right investigator. So in my team in business development, I have people that have PhDs, people have tons of experience in, in technical sales, so that when a company comes to us and starts asking some very sophisticated questions, we, we can quickly figure out which faculty member might be a good fit to support that, that type of activity. We also provide access to, to sophisticated equipment, so a small startup company in the area may not be able to, to access you know, a million-dollar sequencer, and, and we, we do have that type of equipment at the university. So we really are a bridge between the, the sophisticated academics at the university, the equipment, and, and the companies that are trying to figure out how to, how to take those next steps. Right. And large research universities sometimes have a, a bad reputation when dealing with business and industry. What do you think makes you be different and how can you kind of ease those fears for companies that are thinking about getting into this partnership? Sure, definitely. Yeah, that's a reputation that that a lot of universities have and you know it is based on, on the experience of many companies. I think that we try to take a very um, company-friendly approach. We, we have tried to, to the best of our ability at this point to address some of the key challenges, intellectual property being one of them, and maybe we can touch on that in a little bit, and, and also making sure that, that expectations are, are managed on both sides. What we see, and, and through my experience, is that many, many companies come to the university um, explaining a particular area of interest, but the researcher is thinking about it a little bit differently. So we are there as the, as the interpreter to make sure that both are speaking the same language. We, we will help the, the company identify that investigator. We'll help the investigator figure out a statement of work 
that actually is meaningful for them and the students that would be involved in, the, in that particular research. And we're going to stay involved throughout that process to make sure that expectations are met. So company, for example, really cares about timelines in academic centers. It is often easy to get distracted by you know, the next shiny thing. So we try to, to stay embedded in that relationship to make sure that we get to the end. One such example, um, just last year, without getting into too much detail, because I cannot release the, the identity, um, you know, in, in a period of, of less than six weeks, a project was executed, the, the research was done, and a new patent application was filed in literally less than two months. Right. So, um, so I think that that demonstrates how, how aggressive we can be, and as long as there's a good understanding between the university and the partner, things can move actually quite, quite fast. And how, how willing do you find faculty and, and researchers to be participants and to jump right in and even be able to move that quickly? Sure. I, that's a great question. I think it varies um, significantly based on the company interested in, in accessing the university and, and also in the investigator. Many times companies will not want things to be published and the investigators need to publish their work in order to be able to obtain grants and other types of funding. So um, there's often a balance on what can be published and what cannot be published. Again, in my experience, I think that communication sometimes is the, the biggest handicap to making a transaction be a successful one for both parties. But if those lines of communication are open and we understand what the different parties are interested in, um, I very rarely have I had something go terribly wrong. So, And as these businesses become more successful and start to you know gain traction, how do you find that mutual benefit? And is it your role to make sure everybody's happy and in what ways are you kind of dishing out the wealth? Yeah, so it depends. Again, for um, we work with all types of companies in all, in all stages. So um, for a startup company, it may take a little bit more um, of our time educating a company what, it, what is normal and what is not normal when working with academic researchers. If we start talking to a multinational, they will be maybe a lot more concerned with what are going to be the terms and how long is it going to take to a, a particular place. Companies that are early in their development may have more constraints from a budget perspective. So um, we really try to, to be there again, to be the, the interpreter of the different situation and make sure that the investigator um, understands and is as, as excited as the company is in working with them. So we try to do things um, that are, and many times the relationship does evolve in that in the beginning, they're trying to test the waters. You know, can this university really help me? do something so those type of interactions will be literally just test this in your own hands let me know how it works um, and that may evolve into we have this problem we really don't know how to fix it is there something that you can come up with that would you know help us get over this challenge and that generally you know has more of a intellectual property um, potential or the generation of intellectual property rather and and then as these relationships mature you know, then the potential for having an endowment, a donation of sorts, and, and so on, um, can become a reality. And we, of course, are excited to be in partnerships with some of the biggest companies in, in the area. We think that those partnerships are very successful thus far, and we are looking forward to, you know, making sure that the company continues to get value out of the university and that our researchers and students continue to engage with them to get an idea of how it is to work in the, in the real commercial world. Right. And I think you started to touch on it. Um, I'm hoping you can go a, a little bit more into detail about what's UB's approach to intellectual property when working with companies that apply. Sure. Um, 
in so some companies are are super concerned and they want to to make sure that they have the ownership of the intellectual property and and many times that's how a, how a meeting begins so there, it's important to distinguish between ownership and and exclusivity of that ip in that most most of the transactions that happen actually are just exclusive licenses so the university would remain the owner but only that particular company has the exclusive rights to exploit that that exclusivity so um, so that's one thing that sometimes um, helps just to clarify right off the bat to say, you know, we the university will remain the owner, but we will be checking in with you to make sure that we are filing the IP in the right countries, that we're responding to the office actions as you think is best, et cetera, et cetera. From, from UB's perspective, again, my, my background at Mount Sinai was a little, a little bit different, much more aggressive. Here, the, the technology transfer office that is led by Jeff Dunbar has done an, an exceptional job trying to, to lower the bar of accessing the university. For example, they have developed um, an express license that has essentially most of the, of the main terms already negotiated. And for companies that are looking to do research with us, and they're not sure if some IP is gonna be generated or not, but they have an option to, to trigger something called SWIFT. And, and this SWIFT essentially just says, if you pay a bit of a premium on that research budget, and, and that premium is actually gonna be a split with a with a laboratory, so they have a little bit more money to do that research. Um, the the company secures a flat royalty um, for f forever, essentially, uh, as long as the patent is alive. Right. And and there's actually a, a royalty holiday, so for a number of years, you actually do not need to pay anything based on how much money that company is receiving. So again, when I am interacting with companies and they tell me, well, what is the story with intellectual property, which is a very common question. I can explain to them, you know, we have either an express license and or we have these swift terms, which essentially is if you pay a little bit extra on at the research outset and we have to make that decision before the research begins, then you are guaranteed to have this 1% flat royalty going forward. So um, it is extremely generous. Again, in my, in my past, I've done about $850 million worth of deals in life sciences. And I never have I been able to offer anything lower than a three percent royalty. So this is really extremely generous. Yeah. And, and how, how do you see industry um, reacting to that, and kind of opens the door to let more people in and get more people around the table? Yeah, I think it, it definitely helps companies become more comfortable engaging with the university. I think many times, as you were saying in the beginning, there's a big concern on how universities are perceived from the from the outside. So this essentially says, listen, we are trying to be commercially reasonable. We want to have many more shots on goal, not to be like so, you know, adamant about some specific ones. Um, and companies, I just looking at their body language, become much more willing to open up and explore those next steps because that box has been checked, right? In a way, this is easier. We are. It is still in a way in its pilot phase. We have one company that has taken it. It is included in in many master research agreements as an option to take something forward. Um, and we'll see how it plays out. But so far, I think it is. Definitely a, a great development. So what would you say are UB's greatest strengths when collaborating with industry? Sure, I think that one of our biggest advantages being the, the top un public university in New York State is that no matter the complexity of the problem that a particular company comes to us with, we are very likely gonna be able to have expertise in all the different areas that that particular problem might need. So if we need someone with expertise in nanotechnology, we have those researchers. If it is more from a mechanical engineering perspective, we have those researchers. If we need to, to pick and choose individuals from different departments, 
computer science and, and biomedical engineers that are then going to leverage the supercomputer at the university. Those are partnerships that are often very successful. And, and I think that's one of, of our main assets. Many times when you engage with a university, sometimes they don't have a school of engineering, sometimes they do not have you know, a good life science um, expertise. And here at the university, we really have a lot of, a lot of everything. Right. And zoning in specifically on the life sciences sector, uh, I wanted to give you an opportunity <coughs> to talk about the, the new big program and introduce it to listeners and kind of give us the log line for that. Sure. So, um, so the BIG stands for the Buffalo Institute for Genomics and, and Data Analytics. It was funded as part of the Buffalo Billion. And it is an initiative to really support companies in Erie County um, that are working in the life sciences and big data. And those are two critical components. What we are trying to, to do with, the, with this funding is to enable companies to engage with the university um, by taking advantage, advantage of economic development dollars. So, for example, there may be companies that certainly do not have capacity to access a supercomputer. So we will be able to, to pay for that access out of this funding and have the company access the supercomputer for X number of hours. Um, if a company is interested in developing a new you know, medical device, we are able to find the right investigator, pay for that, um, for that time of that investigator to commit to developing this particular prototype and make sure that that company is, has the opportunity to file additional intellectual property, to further advance that particular prototype, et cetera, et cetera, to make sure that those companies in the life sciences and big data are able to, to grow here in, in Erie County. So it is specific to Erie County and, and big data and life sciences. This past year has been fairly successful. We have job commitments now exceeding uh, 500 or so um, for Erie County, so we're very excited about it. We, we are thrilled that we have some, some great partnerships or, already, some that are going to be announced soon, and we have a few additional ones that are coming down the pike that are going to be you know, very, very meaningful for, for the region, we hope. Is that for companies that are already in Erie County and expanding or that are willing to move to Erie County? So these are companies that are in Erie County and expanding. Or these are companies that are perhaps relocating from out of state into Erie County. Okay. Or if there's uh, one deal we have done is a company that has some people in New York City, but are going to, again, because of the advantages that we have here in Buffalo, lower cost of living, we have access to talent, low cost real estate. They're going to set up a lot of their, of their people here doing um, some particular activities that I'm not at liberty to discuss. So, um, you know, almost 90% of the people are actually going to be here, even though the company is headquartered. In, in New York City. So um, we really are here to, to catalyze their ability to, to access the university, to access our investigators, and to access the sophisticated equipment that we have invested millions of dollars in. And what type of companies are <coughs> fit if anyone's listening and, and wondering, you know, size restrictions? We talked a little bit on the industry specifications, but who, who fits the program? Sure. So we, we take a portfolio approach. Um, companies of of all sizes are, are eligible for, for this type of support. We, we do require that the company has some amount of operational dollars. We, we wanna make sure that the company can in fact grow. So if we have a startup company that has an idea but has no way to pay their employees, it's something that does not unfortunately fit at this point. Companies that are working in, in diagnostics, in software tools to improve healthcare outcomes, for example, uh, smart medical devices that you know have some sort of sensor 
that interfaces with a with the human body in some way. Um, companies that are potentially developing drugs, taking advantage of of in silico um, approaches. So again, as long as the company is in the life sciences and there's a big data component, usually most most companies would would fit. And to put this into practice for listeners, um, can you name a success story that's come out of the UB, either the big program or the BEP program, and we could talk about their process and and how they've grown since. Sure. So um, so I'll give you one one earlier stage example would be Garwood Medical Devices. Through this collaboration, we have been able to support the the company working with Dr. Ernstberger. Um, and they are developing a smart band-aid of sorts that is going to prevent the formation of, of biofilms. And the idea there is that some wounds are particularly difficult to, to resolve. And through the technology that they are developing, the, this is uh, a particular problem that is going to be solved. So we actually funded Dr. Ehrensberger um, to work with Carwood Medical in order to develop some IP. And some IP was, in fact, um, filed out of the collaboration and license from the university. And then Garwood has also developed their own IP at this point. They they currently have three full-time employees. They have been raising some additional funding. And we are, you know, we just had a meeting maybe a, a month and a half ago with them, and we are very excited at, at their ongoing success. Another company that's a little bit more um, mature at this point is Circuit Clinical. They have been in the news um, for a number of, of reasons. Just recently, they launched, for example, Trial Scout, which is a, a tool that is going to help patients find potential clinical trials that they're eligible for. Um, another company that we are working with is Tactiva Therapeutics that Matt Colpo has just raised $35 million. Again, that's something that has been right. released pu- publicly. Mm-hmm. And again, there, there's a few others. On the material side of things, we I think our, our most significant success story is Sentient Science. They have been able to, through our efforts, access the supercomputer and in a way, taking advantage of the supercomputer, they can monitor in real time how how, many, how wind turbines are doing for the purpose of generating energy. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they are now monitoring about 30% of these wind turbines uh, through that Center for Computational Research. Again, they would not have otherwise have access to the to the supercomputer, and they have really exploded as far as you look at, at their job growth. Yeah, and I, I think when they were picking a location, that was the the top need for them was access to a large supercomputer sure. and Buffalo probably wouldn't have been in play if it weren't for that, but it captured their expansion or relocation or expansion and mm-hmm. all the job growth yeah. since, which is really impressive. Um, so for life sciences companies that aren't uh, across the country, not in Buffalo, uh, what do you think Buffalo has to offer We've obviously talked about a lot about UB specifically, mm-hmm. but just as as a region, you know, what else makes us an attractive destination? So I think that the um, the biggest assets for for Buffalo in the life sciences specifically is the low cost of getting things going. If you look at wet lab space at our university, we have a, a few incubators. When you compare it to to New York City pricing, again, you know, you're talking. It's almost like the monthly cost covers your yearly cost here. It it really is just um, there's no comparison there. You also have access to a talented pool of of researchers coming out of the university at all levels, undergrad, masters, and and PhD. You have access to the to the health systems. Depending on what you might need to do, there's a good opportunity to interact with some of the health systems here to do some clinical research, 
there's there's certainly a lot of collaborations with Roswell Park and, and university again trying to make sure that we tap onto the right type of expertise the the low cost of living in in Buffalo when you look at, at housing etc means that the right type of expertise is a lot cheaper here so your operational costs are are definitely lower when you compare it to someone in in other regions for example we're we're talking about a collaboration now with an entity that is interested in, in us having the bioinformaticians here just because it's a lot cheaper to have them here than to have them in one of the main biotech hubs where they you know will be like almost double their their salaries right. so that's something that operationally is very attractive to to companies in that space um i think that buffalo maybe has a, a bad reputation because of the winters i am from madrid in spain I am not really that faced by it. I don't think it's that big of a deal. It snows, sure, but life goes on. And I find that the people are very supportive and that generally people are really trying to, to support their, their efforts. So I, I am not looking back. Yeah, we always say snow melts. That's right. <laughs> That's our yeah. line. Um, I had uh, Dr. Steven Schweitzberg from UB on the podcast last year. And one of the things he said when he brings people to town, he's from harvard and boston and he said people are always amazed just by how quickly you can get from the airport to his office downtown oh, yeah. and in most airports you're still in the airport <laughs> yeah in that true. time you know you can take the 33 right down to his office so even there there's even lifestyle and quality of life type things that really make a dig a big difference <laughs> sure and, and if you're concerned about traveling international and you know, in our case, we have kids and we don't want to make a lot of connecting flights. So we'll drive to Toronto and fly direct to right. where it is that we need to go. I think what you just mentioned about the, the airport, you know, if I'm catching the 6 a.m. flight to New York City, it literally takes me 10 minutes to get from my house there. there there's never traffic. I mean, it really is a wonderful place to live. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Before I let you go, we have a few blizzard round questions for you. Hard hitting, journalistic. All right. If you were a flavor of ice cream, what would you be? Oh, man. I think it have to be cookie dough. Okay, that's a good answer. Uh, book or TV show that you'd recommend? I'm lately into The Handmaid's Tale. Nice pick. Text or phone call? Definitely text. No time to be on the phone anymore. Yeah. Uh, bills or sabers? Sabers. Hiking or skiing? Probably hiking. And chicken wings, drumstick or flat? I'm a fan of the flat. Okay, I'm a drumstick guy. We can split 10. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bell Ringer is a podcast by Invest Buffalo Niagara, the region's privately funded nonprofit marketing and economic development organization. Please rate this podcast, follow our social media channels, and read our blog at buffaloniagara.org for the best of Buffalo Niagara. Come grow your business with us.